to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning and welcome into the podcast. Today is September the 20th, it's 2022. And I want to start off the podcast talking about a story that uh, I saw out of Ohio. A, uh, uh, a fire engine was on the on a way, I guess, to a call, and uh, it ended up uh, rolling down a hill and trapping the driver's leg uh, beneath the apparatus. Um, they were able to uh, to free the driver, and, and he was taken to the hospital, and and. Uh, haven't heard any update, uh, you know, recently, but I did want to talk about that. You know, there are times of the year when you feel like, you know, fire apparatus accidents are happening, uh, you know, a lot. And I know, I guess it was a couple of months ago, it seemed like every day uh, there was a, uh, there was an accident that, that was making the news and people were being injured. Um, Certainly, we saw the one up in uh, in New Jersey not too long ago, where firefighters were in critical condition. Uh, now this one, where the driver's leg was was pinned beneath the rig. And look, a couple of things uh, that I just want to talk about with respect to uh, fire apparatus. I I was driving around in the area in which I live, um, and I was out out a bit from from any city out in a county area in a fire truck uh, went past me which is fine I'd pulled over they go past and uh, uh, the driver almost lost it Uh, the rear end of the truck um, it fishtailed this was middle of the day sun's out hadn't been raining Um, these trucks uh, engines ladders rescues whatever you're driving you have to be careful with these things. It doesn't mean you have to drive 20 miles an hour all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But departments need to make sure that their drivers are uh, able to drive the trucks before they're given permission to drive them. And that sounds like, well, why would you have to tell anybody that? Depending on where you are in the country, it's a legitimate thing. Too often, you get people who aren't qualified to, to drive these rigs. They're thrown into them, and they're told, hey, you know what? You're going to be a driver. And, and then people get out there without much experience driving these things, without the experience of understanding what it means when you've got water behind you, 500, 750,000 gallons on up. Um, they don't understand what happens when you turn with water. Uh, they don't understand, uh, you know, basic physics. Uh, and, and part of the issue is uh, people are desperate for drivers in many parts of the country. But ju- desperation should not lead to disaster. You still have to ask yourself, how, you know, how can we train this person up? How can we make sure that they're ready to drive apparatus? Because, look. You get out there, you have an accident, you kill citizens, um, you're in a world of hurt. 
You kill firefighters, you're in a world of hurt. There's uh, no end to the amount of money you will spend as a department going forward to recover from that. People go, well, there are limits set on lawsuits. Yes, but what about the numbers of them? What about going after things that, that, uh, uh, that don't particularly have much to do with money? What about reputations? What about lost jobs? There's lots of things that can take place. And, you know, it just makes sense to say, be cautious when you have a new driver, right? Just be cautious. It's important to maintain control of apparatus. Nobody, and I mean nobody, does any good wrecked in a ditch. Um, nobody does uh, firefighters any good if your second due or third due has wrapped around a phone pole. Um, it doesn't do anyone any good. While we're on the subject of drivers, it bothers me a lot that in some places when when uh, someone gets hired or whatever and then suddenly they're put on an engine and they're automatically made a pump operator. That, to me, is indicative of absolutely woeful leadership. Woeful. A person who the first time uh, they get on a rig, now they have to pump. Needs must. I get that. You know, first things first. You can't pump if you don't have someone there. I get it. But you kill people pumping. You can. You break equipment. You cause fires to get out of control when you don't know how to, to uh, operate the pump panel. The bottom line is I know I have personally watched uh, someone who was on, on an ambulance who was immediately moved over to an engine to drive that day. That person did not know how to put the truck in pump. Meanwhile, this wasn't before shift change. This was about an hour and a half, two hours after this person had been on the truck. They decided to pull it out. They did not know how to put the truck in pump. Now, if this is a very rural area, hey, again, needs must. If this is a department that is paid, if this is a, quote, professional department, end quote, leaders need to lose their jobs. And not one leader. Everybody who allows it. Period. You can't put the lives of other firefighters and citizens on the line just because you don't train people. It is absolutely and undeniably... Uh, it's malpractice. And the people who do it should be identified and moved on. Period. It is an absolute and undeniable mess. You know, people want more money. They want more stature. They want to be treated well, which is all understandable. Departments want people to, to be trained up to do their jobs, but you have to train them. And if your philosophy is, well, you know what, that's, that's just what we do, then you shouldn't be doing what you do.
People need to be trained before they're put in charge of a pump panel. People need to be trained before they ever step foot on an aerial device. Period. It is absolute malpractice. It is criminal. It's a criminally lack. It's, It's just a lack of training, which should be criminal, and sometimes is. I would tell people who are forced to do that, make sure you write down each shift that you had to do that without the training. Keep it in a notebook. There's a lot of it out there. Well, I shouldn't say a lot. There are departments out there that are so behind in every aspect that they don't care who's driving their rigs. They just don't. Um, It's a warm body. And if that's how they look at you as a firefighter, that's also how they look at you as a person. And, and anyone else on that rig is the same way. You get somebody on a fire truck and the person in charge of the truck or the driver doesn't know the job, yeah, somebody's allowed that to happen. They've allowed it. So malpractice for sure. I want to switch up and talk a little bit about uh, about brush trucks. Um, I got I received an invitation to uh, come out and look at a uh, visit a brush truck uh, manufacturing facility, and it's they're growing by leaps and bounds. And, um, I'm going to do it, but I won't be able to do it till after the first of the year. But one of the things that that uh, I've seen and, and uh, our folks who who listen who are uh, who are out in uh, wildfire country and and uh, you'll have you'll certainly know this already but I've seen such an evolution uh, in brush trucks uh, over the last oh, 25 or 30 years from being an afterthought in many cases to uh, being something that is a multi-purpose tool that uh, Obviously, you use them on brush fires, you use them on wildland, uh, but there are other, uh, other areas in which you can use them too, parking garages, um, anything sub-level. Uh, you know, you get something, a garage or whatever that's below grade, uh, depending on the height, uh, oftentimes, and I, I've seen it, um, you'll have brush trucks that, that go in and, and uh, can at least uh, transport uh, equipment and or uh, flow water. Um, onto to certain types of fires. Obviously, smoke is a huge concern, and that limits it somewhat. Uh, but even going up in a parking garage, as opposed to having to get an aerial there and raising it to this fifth floor of the parking garage, uh, you can drive these things in if there's a fire on the top floor. It gives you access. It gives you portable water. Um, they do have a role, however, and, and their role is, as I said, it's a multi-purpose role. They are not... Uh, intended to replace engines any more than anything else other than an engine is intended to replace an engine. But what they are uh, is an outstanding tool to augment what you have in place. Um, and, and some of these press trucks are, uh, are impressive. You know, I kind of came of age when a brush truck was a pickup truck that the department decided to, to throw something in. And that's certainly the case in many departments. And they still work as well. Uh, but if you're a department that uh, can can reach out and build a brush truck, I highly recommend it. 
the the customizations on it when you customize it you're able to to pick what you need um, obviously you can have uh, joysticks in the cab that allow you to to turn nozzles and all sorts of interesting and neat things I'm looking forward to this visit in part because I've seen the major manufacturers have seen a lot of them and their production processes and uh, it's always interesting I've seen PPE their production processes which sometimes just blow your mind at the way your PPE is made um, and you know most things in the fire service I've been able to witness I, I've not been able to witness anything uh, with respect to uh, to wildland or, or brush vehicles and so I'm looking forward to that and uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to do a, uh, when I do go, I'm going to do uh, some videos and uh, put them up on uh, online uh, on the website, usfirejournal.com, so that people can, can see the process, or limited parts of the process. Obviously, most companies don't want to show you their entire uh, process because there, there are things that, that they don't want their competitors to know. Um, although it's easy enough to go look at one and figure it out. But anyway, uh, it'll be interesting, I think, and, and uh, I actually can't wait to do that. Um, I had an opportunity to, to uh, see some hose testing being done and, uh, and, and ladder testing. It was done by a company. And uh, it's interesting to watch the process. Um, you know, Back when I was a young firefighter, we tested our own hose, and um, it uh, it was always interesting when we tested our hose uh, with respect to uh, the amount of time it took us. Um, you know, and we did it station by station, um, and it, it took, uh, frankly, it took a while. Um, but but one of the interesting things that that I see now is how how fast uh, a company can move through this process um, and you know say what you want we hated hose testing back in the day um, you never looked forward to it in part because uh, now back then too we had uh, we had the bulldog brass bulldog butts um, on our on our uh, Two and a half, and, and uh, hose was very heavy. I mean, extremely heavy. Uh, if you were standing on the tailboard as, as hose was coming off, uh, I remember a guy, watched a guy. Um, he's lucky he had such a hard head. A bulldog butt came off, clapped him in the face. Uh, he was standing on the tailboard, knocked him off, and when we ran up to him, he was out. Uh, he was out cold um, and had... Uh, had a damaged face. He was ugly already, uh, but it made him uglier. And uh, like we said, it was a good thing he had a hard head. He was out for a couple of weeks. But uh, we hated hose testing. Uh, now uh, it's much more palatable. It's, it's good watching a company do it. Um, and, you know, they also do ladders and things like that. But I was also watching some ladder testing. And one of the things uh, with respect to ladder testing um, – most departments that, that use their ladders quite a bit, they, they start to spot uh, when, when a ladder's going bad, whether it's bent. Um, you know, sometimes I was, on a, I was on a ladder one time. Uh, we were out training, 
and we'd thrown it up against a, a house that was vacant, vacant house, to go up on the roof, and I think I was on the third rung from the bottom, and I was standing there waiting on the other guy to show up so we could get to the roof. The others had gone up to the roof on the other side. And uh, the, uh, the rung just dropped. I mean, it dropped right out from under me, broke. And uh, all I could think was, I'm glad it did it now, you know, on the third rung. I'm glad it wasn't at the top where one broke, although I don't think I would have fallen. The, the point is, is that every time you have an opportunity to raise a ladder at a fire, training, whatever the case may be, uh, make sure you look at the ladder to see how it's doing. Um, you can run your hands down, uh, up and down the beams and, and find where it's protruding, where it's out of line. Uh, the fly section, you can look at a ladder that's raised and you can see visual clues about what's going on with it. Looking up and down the beams, looking at the rungs, uh, the halyard, the, the assembly at the top, the halyard assembly at the top. You can look at the butt spurs, uh, practically everything, and give, give it a good once-over. One of the ways that I liked doing it when I was a driver uh, was uh, anytime we washed the truck, I took the ladders off and uh, washed the ladders. And in the course of washing the ladders, uh, ended up uh, uh, finding things that were wrong. We were able to report it, and the ladder was immediately taken out of service. We got a reserve. Uh, you know, we get another uh, 24, 35-foot or whatever the case may be uh, put on the ladder and then we were good to go. Those tests, or excuse me, those inspections that you conduct, you know your ladders. This way, uh, you can begin to document, uh, if not on paper in your mind, what's wrong with a ladder and try to get it reported as early as possible. It is incumbent upon everybody on a fire department to look at equipment as it's operating, prior to its operating, after it's been operating, and give it a good once-over. Try to figure out if there's anything wrong. Same goes with hose. Um, sometimes hose fails, you, have, you had no idea. Uh, but it, it, does, it never surprised me when we had a section of hose that failed when, when I looked at it and said, you know what, I think this thing's fixing to go. And uh, when it did, I'd already documented it, and uh, then we were able to move right along you want to try to get these things that, that aren't performing at, at their peak efficiency out of the way so firefighters aren't injured that's ultimately what it's all about in order to to complete the mission you need the equipment in order to save civilian lives and firefighter lives you need to know what's working and what's not there are a lot of uh, comments online, and, and let's face it, there's always comments, but uh, quite a number of them about uh, the switch to, uh, or about the um, discussion about walk-in rescues and, and uh, 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 non-walk-in. And I'd recently, I'd talked about it on a podcast, and I got a lot of feedback on it. And uh, wasn't able to talk about it, but you know, there are all kinds of opinions out there on every subject. Uh, I think 
when you're looking at a walk-in rescue, some people go, well, I wouldn't want a walk-in rescue because I don't want to ride back there. What if equipment fell off on me? Well, what if you have a non-walk-in rescue and you're going down the road and a, uh, an airplane hits you? Are you safer there? Uh, the bottom line is you can create a scenario in your mind where everything fails. You can. Um, there is no perfect safety. This is what I try to tell people, and I, it gets old trying to tell them. People think that, you know what, um, we have to be uber safe, very safe. We have to be on top of everything so that we're safe. And from a uh, risk management point of view, okay. From a, a mission-oriented point of view, you're never going to be able to accomplish it, ever. You can, here's, here's some non-starters, and this is, you have to wear seat belts. Why? It's the law. Uh, Non-walk-in versus walk-in, secure your equipment. That would be my, my best advice. If you're worried about a walk-in rescue and you're worried about something falling on your head, secure it. Um, most people want it done for them, and that's their idea of safety. They want perfect safety. They don't want to ever breathe in anything bad. Uh, well, wrong job. They don't ever want to fall off a ladder. I don't know anyone who does want to fall off a ladder, but it does happen. And you know what? You're going to have to suck it up, move on. You have people who say, well, you know, I don't particularly uh, care for, uh, uh, for advancing hose lines into houses that have fire in them. I mean, why can't we attack them from the outside? Well, guess what, Buttercup? You're going to have to do it. And if your department doesn't do it, you're not a firefighter. Um, bottom line is you took a job that exposes you to above-average risk. It doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen. It means that there's a chance of it, a greater chance of it happening to you because of the profession you chose than someone who decided to be an accountant. That's life. To the people who want perfect safety, leave. There's no such thing. And people get so butthurt over this. Um, I know people that have been in the fire department 15 plus years. And all they can talk about is, is how unsafe it is. They're miserable. Their whole life is miserable. It has to be. Because when they go home, I'm sure they don't want anything bad happening, whatever bad means. The bottom line in life is, it's dangerous. You can have all of the things you want at work, and you step outside work, get in your car, and you get plowed over by a dump truck. Oh, now, you know, it's almost like people discover that they could die in life. But here's the thing. Everybody's going to. Um, the old joke, you know, what are you doing, trying to live forever? I am not against safety. I'm not. Anyone that knows me knows I'm not against safety. I've fought for it for a long time in many different ways. Yet there are risks that are inherent with anything you do.
There are risks staying outside of a fire, but you don't hear people talking about that. You'll hear them say, wow, but it's much more dangerous to be outside or to be inside. Maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, but it's not zero risk to be outside. Here's the bottom line. Don't climb mountains if you don't want to be a mountain climber. Don't say, well, I'm a mountain climber, but I refuse to go up that wall. You know, look at that sheer face. I'm not climbing up that. Okay, but you're not a mountain climber. You're just not. Um, want to be a doctor? Want to be a surgeon? Eh, I like surgery, but I don't like seeing blood, so we're going to have to do something with that blood. Nope, nope, we're going to have to do something with you. You need to go find another job. Same with firefighting. Don't like heights? Suck it up. Don't like being close to fire? Suck it up. Don't like the risk incurred because you're sitting inside of a, fi- inside a piece of fire apparatus where something's going to fall on your head? Don't be a firefighter. We're absolutely worried about your lungs getting anything in them. Not only don't be a firefighter, don't go outside. You're breathing in stuff every single day, walking around, off the job. You have no idea what it is. So, want perfect safety? Die. It's the only time you're going to get perfect safety. Nothing's going to happen to you after that. Nothing's going to happen to your body after you die. Nothing that you feel. That's perfect safety. Bottom line, there are risks in life. And yes, we try to limit exposure to exceptional risk when that exceptional risk is not warranted. You know, you go to a one-story single-family dwelling with fire showing from the Alpha Delta side. Somebody pulls up in a 100-foot in a stick, they raise it straight up in the air, and they tell you, okay, go up to the very top, hook in, and rappel down into that fire. Okay, that's exceptional risk that not, that's not warranted. It is. It's not, yeah, you know what, that fire's burning. I'm going to stand out here with a pack on. I'm also going to be 200 feet away. That's not your choice. You gave up that choice when you decided to, to uh, serve, serve citizens. Now, you can say, that's it, I'm done. Fine, but you're not getting paid. People like that are a cancer on the fire service. They are not good at what they do and don't care about doing it. They're absolutely obsessed with safety and with pointing things out that really don't matter. And, and most of them don't matter. Um, you know, a blind hog will find a root, even a blind one. It's going to find a root eventually. So people who complain all the time, they're obviously going to run across something that's, that, you know, once in a while they're going to hit a home run and be like, look, I'm a home run hitter. No, you're not. Because you pointed at a thousand things and got one? Come on. Stevie Wonder does a better job of, than that. Um, just don't. Safety is important. Absolute safety does not exist. Know the difference. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with another podcast. Till then, stay safe.